Welcome to the Cybersecurity Weekly Podcast. I'm Jane Lowe, podcasting from Singapore today. And with us today, we are very fortunate to have Kyoju Kok, who is the Executive Director and Head of Cyber Threat Intelligence at S2W, who is joining us from South Korea and will be sharing with us insights and perspectives on the cyber activities of North Korea. So thank you, Kyoju or Kay, for joining us in the podcast today. Okay, thank you very much uh, for having me today. Yeah, thank you. So with your firm's uh, recent involvement to support Interpol's Operation Cyclone, which I understand is a 30-month uh, investigation uh, following attacks against Korea companies, and your expertise in dark web intelligence and experience in understanding North Korea, we are very privileged to have you um, today to share with us your insights and perspectives. Um, so I thought we can start off with you know, how do you characterize North Korea cyber attacks compared to, say, those attributed to Russia or China? So, for example, would you say that despite what we may think about the maturity of North Korea in economic matters, their levels of sophistication when it comes to cyber attack is quite mature? And I think we can point to, say, for example, the Bangladesh heist of 2016 as an example and how the attackers you know, waited patiently for more than a year after the initial reconnaissance to launch the attack. And this demonstrates their sophisticated planning and organization. So it seems to be that they are fairly mature when it comes to cyber attack. Mm. Okay, uh, so yeah, uh, their capabilities have evolved considerably over the past decade. Uh, of course, there are some differences among threat actors of uh, North Korea. But uh, overall, the penetration method and the techniques to evade security have become quite sophisticated. And they attack with considerable knowledge about the country's political situation. And also, we uh, see them perform reconnaissance work for a long time to gain that kind of knowledge. On top of that, their social engineering attacks are becoming more sophisticated. Um, they are good at exploiting vulnerabilities, and their attacks using psychological loopholes are also effective. I don't have much experience with Russian attack groups, so I can't say much about them. But uh, I understand that Chinese groups have impressive hacking and malware development techniques. And I think uh, nowadays, the North Korean groups have reached the level of the skilled Chinese groups. Yes, as you say, their social engineering skills is uh, quite impressive nowadays. I, I read about, you know, how they could impersonate um, not just Korean speakers, but also like Spanish speakers in some of the attacks. So it's quite impressive. And they also seem to be rather ambitious. And uh, the Bangladesh heist, which I mentioned earlier, has the original intent of stealing more than one billion. So that's quite ambitious. And also WannaCry, as we know, which uh, impacted more than 150 countries worldwide. So that's also quite impressive. But at the same time, they are also very uh, dynamic. So for example, they have attacked ATMs and also the Sony picture attack and also cryptocurrency exchanges. So quite a variety of, um, of methods and targets. But it looks like they are not yet into supply chain attacks or spray and pray ransomware attacks. But I just want to get your thoughts because it looks to me that they are dynamic and ambitious, but they are not yet into, you know, this kind of big supply chain attacks that the Russian or the Chinese are. Oh, yeah. Uh, actually, uh, it's not widely known abroad, but North Korean groups have been conducting supply chain attacks in South Korea for a long time. 
All right. Is, okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. This is because the details of these intrusions are mostly secretly shared only among a few researchers and organizations in South Korea. Mm -hmm. uh, in the case of a group called Endario, the threat actors studied the vulnerabilities of a security solution used within target companies and utilized them for supply chain attacks. For instance, several years ago, Endario used antivirus vulnerabilities to steal credit card information from ATM companies, as you mentioned. And also, they successfully conducted APT attacks against many other companies and government organizations using the same antivirus. And there haven't been any significant spray and prey attacks by North Korean groups that were discovered in the wild. Instead, uh, we, uh, we see large-scale attacks targeting industry or corporate employees, such as watering hole attacks. And the spray and pray type of attacks targeting massive amounts of people are not considered to be their preferred style. Yes, you talked about Andaria, which I think um, some threat researchers refer to as APT39. Mm -hmm. And that's right. And it comes under this uh, umbrella group of Lazarus, which is, of course, a no notorious uh, North Korean threat actor group that um, I think some refer to as the hidden cobra, right? And yeah, right. also, yes, and there's also another group that is referenced to by threat researchers, which, which is the Blue Roth or the APT38. And they engage in different campaigns using different personas as, you know, guardians of peace or independence days. Can you tell us the story about, you know, behind these developments of these different groups and personas? Okay, first of all, here is the reason I think such diverse groups are being constantly created depending on their capabilities and final goals. In the case of Endarial, it can be said that they are specialized in South Korea. And they understand the security solutions and the political situation of South Korea very well. Uh, and in case of APT 38 or 39 and Rajalus attack was probably created to be proficient in English because uh, when attacking English speaking countries, we can see they are proficient in English in their phishing emails or baiting. And they understand the process of the financial sector as well. A typical example is the Bangladesh attack you mentioned earlier. Uh, it was an attack carried out with a good understanding of the international financial telecommunication system, uh, SWIFT. And finally, Kimsky, also known as Hayum, the group is not only conducting reconnaissance. When a vulnerable and valuable target is discovered by their recon, they penetrate inside without delay and steal sensitive data. This is one of the most active attack groups in the world. And as for the interesting names and personas, I believe mm -hmm. most of the names come from secret companies. Right, okay. <laughs> and some names like Guardians of Peace were created mm -hmm. by redactors. I don't know why they named themselves like this. Uh, and some redactors will choose to adopt a name they like, such as Tayum. Uh, when first security researchers uh, named the Gimsky as Talium, I think they like this name. So these days, they, frequently we discover the Talium in their code. So I guess the related question, you know, you brought up like Andario targets um, South Korean companies and organizations. I guess the related question is how confident are we with attributions um, to North Korea? So if we say, for example, that we see an attack on South Korea organization, could we 
uh, say it's very likely that it's a North Korean uh, triactor group, for example. Or yeah. if we see, you know, presence of Korean language in some of the malware code, or for example. Oh yeah, that's right. There is always a possibility that attributions can go in the wrong direction. So we are usually careful with uh, how we word our findings. We often use expressions such as estimate, judge, or likely, something like that. Uh, we can only guess the country or group behind it if we have only uh, limited evidence. If there is an incorrect attribution, there is a high possibility that it can cause further incorrect assumptions. Uh, but from my experience, I don't think we've had cases of incorrect initial identification. But there have been cases where other CTL reports have uh, mistakenly pointed fingers at North Korea. Mm. However, yeah, however, uh, when we uh, continuously investigate incidents and attacks, there are cases when we find some conclusive evidence to make attributions. Uh, it's difficult to disclose everything to the public because, mm. um, yeah, if we disclose the key factors, how we uh, trace them, track them, and then they may change the technical part to exactly. track. Yeah, when we are making a report or notice, one of the most difficult things is to decide the uh, appropriate level of disclosure. Mm. We mainly use lots of signatures extracted from reversed codes. Um, for example, encryption or decryption codes, debugging messages, unusual mm. strings, and etc. Yeah, mm -hmm. we use uh, various things. Uh, we can also check their methodology, like how they decrypt and hide the encrypted uh, CNC server address. CNC means command and control server. And we dissect how they actually communicate with the CNC server. It's also the uh, concrete evidence uh, when we uh, track them. And, mm -hmm. uh, and we also analyze their various infrastructure and attack tools uh, from the, um, mostly from the uh, server side. And the traces left on the server side is the most impactful factor in terms of attribution. However, uh, server-side data is one of those things that are not publicly disclosed. So um, earlier I brought up the point that, you know, um, if South Korea is targeted, then the possibility of North Korean, uh, a North Korean uh, triactor being involved is uh, high. But this could be also misdirect, uh, deliberate misdirection by the triactor to point fingers at the wrong person, right? Yeah, right. Yes, it's possible. Okay, right. Okay, so um, so we talked about like uh, the different uh, groups, Lazarus, and there are the different personas, um, attribution. And you say that earlier you started to say, uh, with the podcast, you started to say that uh, North Korea has evolved um, over the years. Um, and threat researchers tend to present a brief history of the North Korean threat actors beginning from 2009. And these are the first wave of, of attacks that happened on July the 4th, 2009, right? Um, mm. That targeted both US and South Korean websites. They have very high levels of social engineering skills and also their uh, reconnaissance methods and so on. And so let's talk about their training methods. We hear how uh, North Korean youngsters are selected and trained from a young age in math and technical skills, sort of like a Soviet star training programs for Olympics competition. Uh, can you share what we know about their training methods, how they manage to build out such skills and expertise? Okay. Uh, where, where do they get their skills from? Okay. 
uh, I do not know much about their education or training system. It is not easy to know in detail, even for South Koreans. Everything I know on the topic comes from the media and what people around me say. Uh, of course, uh, I have uh, lots of friends around me. <laughs> yeah. However, yeah, what I do know is that uh, I have seen the computer science textbooks they use for middle and high school, and the level was quite high. And also, it's kind of prohibitive things to know about North Korea in South Korea. <laughs> it's oh, right, okay. Yeah, illegally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we cannot uh, know uh, very deeply in depth. And and some mm -hmm. students in North Korea rank very highly in international programming contests. Uh, it's, That's right. Uh, yeah, I was shocked when I uh, firstly know about this. And often, they would rank higher than students from the top-ranked universities in South Korea, like Heist or uh, Seoul University, Seoul National University and mm. Korea University. And they dominated this kind of programming contest. And That's the amazing, isn't it? Yeah, right. The students must have solid computer science knowledge as well as coding skills to uh, dominate the kind of contest. Uh, as for linguistic skills, I don't know much mm -hmm. about it, but uh, as, I, uh, as you know, uh, Kim Jong-un is uh, studied mm -hmm. in Swiss and lots of <laughs> hackers, uh, they live in like China or Russia, uh, something like uh, right. that. Yeah, that is the region they, are, uh, uh, they use frequent mm -hmm. English or other language, I think. Mm. So they have some sort of a, um, partnerships, well, maybe partnership is not the right word, but they, they do exchange uh, with yeah. uh, China or Russia uh, groups as well. Okay. What about what do we know about their, their work with uh, other cybercrime groups, not nation state actors, but other cybercrime groups? Because I understand, for example, ransomware could be bought, um, mm. bought as a service, for example, or malware as a service. So do you see that uh, they have some sort of uh, close associations with certain cybercrime groups? Oh, actually, we have no evidence to confirm that. Uh, mm. uh, in case of TA505, uh, there is a kind of a threat actor which mainly conducts cybercrime, not APT or something like that. Uh, yep. We uh, frequently uh, observe that TA505 and Gimski, they mm. shape the infrastructure. Yeah, so we just suspiciously I think that they are connect each other, but there is no mm -hmm. great evidence so far. Mm -hmm. I think they are also very careful to hide their tracks as well. If they're that sophisticated, um, they are not going to be, you know, leaving traces all around to tell us that they are connected <laughs> yeah. to certain groups. Um, yes. Definitely. So my so my final question is, you know, what is the outlook? Right of this uh, threat landscape. So, given that we have seen no obvious outages with this year's Olympics compared to the last, right, um, and together with the U.S. arrest of North Koreans, or or rather indictments of North Korean cyber threat actors, and several countries like Australia, Canada, New Zealand, U.K., U.S. coming together to jointly attribute cyber attacks, want to cry to um, North Korea. Um, and of course, the developments that we read about uh, Interpol and Europol. Can we expect a short reduction in terms mm -hmm. of North Korean cyber threat landscape? Do you okay. think that's... Uh, yes. So uh, actually, it's hard to say that there will be a sharp reduction of North Korea's uh, cyber threat. Cyber attacks are easy to carry out covertly and accountability mm -hmm. can be so ambiguous. 
the economic gains from cyber attacks are uh, a bonus. The political situation can change rapidly, so I can't say for sure, but even ongoing attacks might uh, suddenly stop if diplomatic relationships suddenly improve. But this could also be too optimistic. Only time can tell if short-term diplomatic improvements can stop cyber reconnaissance activity. For example, attacks on South Korea by some groups such as APT38 have been mm -hmm. quiet for about a year. Mm -hmm. There is no activity, uh, I mean, in South Korea, even in Daryl, they have no activity uh, we observed uh, during last year. And at that time, I thought that uh, they were going inactive. But this year, it seems that they are conducting more attacks in uh, South Korea. And this time, their attack method is quite different from their past attacks. I think they are uh, also reading our CTI report, analysis re report, so they gain uh, some knowledge how defenders uh, track them and what kind of uh, factors we use to track them. And it is challenging to make quick judgment from short-term observations. It's always possible that they are preparing for another type of attack. Who knows? And uh, maybe they went uh, uh, went on a sabbatical, like vacation, uh, for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, okay. <laughs> it seems, yeah, it seems very difficult to predict how the cyber world will change. But mm. uh, I want to emphasize the ongoing and emerging attacks are not just myths or fiction. Uh, we must continue to prepare for these attacks. I don't think they stop the attack suddenly. Many of the uh, recent attacks are extremely asymmetrical, if you think about it. I mean, attackers can buy accounts used for initial filtration for as cheap as just 5 or $20 from dark web. Now, on the other hand, companies can spend a lot of uh, money buying security solutions and building a kind of fortress, like Castle, fortress of security. Mm. Yeah, but yep. all it takes is a single hole in those uh, fortress walls. That's right. You need just a weak, um, what you call, many people refer to as a weak uh, link, and that can be exploited and taken advantage of. Yeah, right. Mm. Okay. So thank you, Kay, for your time today. I think uh, we have come to the end of our podcast. And as you say, you know, we need to be constantly prepared to for future um, evolutions in their uh, attack methods. And I think um, what the insights that you share with us um, today will be very interesting to cyber defenders. And your point, even if we do not see any signs of attacks today, it doesn't mean that they are not preparing for a, a bigger attack in the near future. So thank you very much, Kay, for your time today. Okay, thank you for inviting me. To